Welcome to Ottawa Valley Vineyard, where we simply want to help you encounter Jesus, be transformed, and share his love. right into Psalm 103. So as many of you know, we recently started working our way through, so over the last couple of Sundays, right, different Psalms. Um, and we've kind of been doing a short series just on, just on different Psalms and investigating them and digging into them. And as many of our lives have been shaken, we decided, okay, well, maybe one of the things we should do is turn to the Psalms in this time, right? And the Psalms are the songbook of the Bible. They're prayers, they're hymns, they're stories of of various people of faith, of how they wrestled with different situations and, and hard times and good times. There's been grief, there's pain, there's loss, there's hope, there's joy. And so we thought, well, let's, in the middle of turbulence, let's turn back to these Psalms um, in a time of uncertainty. Let's, yeah, let's go back to them and let's see where we can find hope, guidance, comfort, uh, in the middle of a discussion with those who have gone before. And uh, those who have gone before us and wrestled with similar experiences and, uh, yeah, similar hard times. So how I want to structure this morning is uh, we're just going to go through the psalm and we're just going to hit some major themes. And so there's going to be a total of four of those. But before we start, I just wanted to say welcome um, wherever you are. Uh, and it's wherever you are on your spiritual journey, um, whatever your story is here, you know, maybe you're just on Facebook and you clicked on this and someone shared it. Maybe you're part of Ottawa Valley Vineyard. Maybe there's a, another pathway that you, you ended up here. But whatever that is, uh, you're welcome. This is for you. Uh, my hope is that uh, what I'll do t- today will hopefully be uh, something where in which I present what Scripture says and I, I give an accurate representation of what it is that God would say through scripture, and that God would speak to you. And I think if that happens, you know, that's how, uh, if that happens, then that's a a good job. And if that doesn't happen, then maybe that's where things start to go off the rails. If instead of hearing God's voice, you start hearing my opinion or or my thoughts of, hey, we should do this. So um, yeah, without further ado, let's just jump right into the psalm. Uh, And so this psalm, just as an overview, this really is a psalm of thanksgiving and gratitude and admiration for God and for God's promises and the way that he's been faithful, the way that he served. And, and so let's just, uh, let's just do a piece of structure first. The psalm roughly breaks down into four sections. And the first section is going to be oriented around a thankfulness for what God has done. And you, you find that in verses 1 to 5. And the second section, it, it's going to begin to compare God to us. So God's righteousness, God's justice, God's mercy, his compassion, his grace uh, to ours. And in that second section, we kind of see, uh, we don't really measure up that well. We, we fall short and uh, God does not. Uh, the third section is going to tell us that though we fall short, even in the middle of falling short, even though uh, according to God's standard, we are not there, that we are intimately known and we are loved beyond measure. And then in the final section, section number four at the end, we're reminded that God's throne is overall, and that in praising God, we join alongside of all creation in this beautiful music that is being sung to him. Uh, So yeah, let's just jump into the first section. And and what I'll do with each section is because we can't go through every line of the psalm, uh, unless you wanted to be here for three hours, uh, I'm just going to choose one line out of each section, and we'll kind of elaborate on that. 
and talk about the whole of the psalm through those different pieces. So in the first section, uh, it's uh, going to say this in verse 2. It's going to say, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases. And you're going to note something here that we've mentioned uh, multiple other times as we've done a couple of sermons in this series. And that is that the psalmist is using mind and memory to stir up his soul, right? He's directing his soul towards God. He's shepherding it. Uh, he's using memory and mind. He's shepherding his soul towards God. He's telling it, bless God. Do not forget his benefits. And, and that kind of resolves itself in at least, at least two thoughts that we can walk away here. And one is that we work uh, the gospel or, or the good news of, of God welcoming, welcoming us back. We work that into our hearts by inward dialogue. That's one of the methods we can use, right? Speaking directly to our hearts and to our souls. Um, biblical meditation is not an emptying of the mind. Uh, biblical meditation uses thought. It uses memory. It uses reflection. And it uses all of those things to kindle a fire in our hearts. Um, something that uh, biblical meditation, it kind of fills our mind. It says, here is, here is truth. Here is goodness. Soak in this. And as you soak in it, let that kind of enter in and permeate you and begin to change who you are and then affect your actions. And uh, so the verse is then going to go on to say this. It's going to go on to say, He forgives all your iniquity and heals all your diseases. Uh, he forgives all your iniquity. Let's just jump into that piece first. Um, for If you've spent a lot of time in church, you probably know this. If you've read through the scripture, you've probably seen this theme, but the uh, major biblical theme, the biblical story, it all kind of points towards this. It points towards God wants humanity to be reconciled to him, to be brought back to him, that humanity is separate, uh, separated from God, and he wants us to come back. He wants us to be reunited with him in relationship. And there's a major roadblock, and that roadblock is, is something called sin, which is which is our wayward hearts, our desire to do our own thing, our desire, our, our rebellion, our turning away from God. And uh, when we come to God, when we say, I'm sorry, when we ask for forgiveness, when we come to God saying, I want to know you, I want your forgiveness, in that moment, instantly we receive forgiveness, right? When we say, Jesus, I want to follow you, I want to know you. Um, the Bible says that in that moment, that we receive forgiveness, that we receive the Holy Spirit, that God says, welcome home, child. I love you. You are forgiven. And now while that forgiveness is immediate, um, this is where the second piece comes in, right? It heals all your diseases. While forgiveness is immediate, healing, in, in my experience, uh, is not always that way. Um, sometimes healing is denied in the immediate. And uh, while that's true, I just want to I just want to put that here. So forgiveness is immediate, healing is not always immediate. Sometimes we see that. I mean, my my wife struggles with illness, and we've been praying for her, and you know we haven't seen that. So it seems like healing doesn't always work that way. And I just want to put that here. But I do want to point towards the direction that the narrative of Scripture goes. Right? Scripture is directed towards. This kind of like this end picture of the redemption of all creation. So eventually in the future, there will be this new earth, 
There'll be this new heavens that's made in which every tear will be wiped from their eye. Death and sickness and disease and evil will be removed. It will be dealt with. Everything will be made whole. And scripture would say, okay, well, even if we don't experience the healing of sickness in the here and now, I mean, the reality is that 10 out of 10 people die. Even if we don't experience the healing of sickness here, biblically, um, God is working towards a restoration of all things. That there will be a time when sickness is completely healed, when that's taken away. And uh, there's uh, even a sense in which, uh, while forgiveness is immediate, sin, uh, sin is not completely dealt with either, right? We can receive forgiveness and sin uh, we can still be entangled in. We are still entangled in. We struggle with different pieces. And uh, we look towards a future when sin will be taken away. We look towards a future when, uh, when all will be healed, when sickness will be taken away. And uh, I, just, uh, I just wanted to add on another piece there. In this comparison of sin and sickness, it's interesting to remember that God's primary motivation uh, is for us to know him, uh, for us to love him. And so when we ask, we get forgiveness now. Uh, we may not get suffering removed yet. Uh, it's just interesting to note that sin is something that always blocks our relationship with God. Uh, suffering and sickness is something that does not always block our relationship with God. Sometimes suffering, sometimes sickness can be something that deepens our relationship with God. Sometimes sickness can be something that draws us towards Him. I don't speak out of personal experience there, but uh, I, uh, I reflect on the experience of people who have gone before and who would, who would say that and who have experienced deep suffering and said, in this, uh, I'm not happy that this happened, but I'm happy about where this brought me or what this taught me. So uh, with the conclusion of that section, there is then a transition, right? And you see that in verse 5. The tone shifts, and it kind of says, Okay, well, now that we've begun to remember all that God has done and how great he is, uh, it starts to say, uh, man, we, we really suck in comparison to who God is. And so the verses that I want to focus on here in this second section are verses 6 and 9. So I kind of took them and I put them together. This is what they say. It says, the Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. And then it goes on to say, He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. And uh, I guess as I was studying this, as I was looking at this, the first part of this line might be especially relevant just in light of recent events um, and riots and protests and unrest. And uh, I, I think just in, in light of some of the cultural pieces here, I, I just want to preface with what I'm going to say here with uh, my hope in this time is that we see and that we understand the person of Jesus, right? My hope and, and our hope, I think, in, in diving into Scripture should be, uh, let's see the person of Jesus. Let's see the heart of God. Um, and if, it's, if my opinion, uh, political or otherwise, you know, starts to come through strongly here, then, and that starts to overshadow the heart of God, if that starts to overshadow the person of Jesus, then I think that there might be a problem. Uh, and I just know that probably in this audience, there's people probably on uh, different sides politically. There's probably uh, people who think differently about we should do this or we should not do this or we should support this or not this. And I, I just want to I just want to recognize that. 
And uh, I want to say that as followers of Jesus, the first thing that we do when we run into tricky cultural situations is we look at who Jesus is. And then we begin to think how we act out of, out of who he is and out of the heart that we see. Right? And so let's look at the heart of God. Let's be united in understanding the heart of God. And then let's let, uh, as we view on that and as we, as we look at that, let's let that heart inform what we should or we shouldn't do or what we should commit or what we shouldn't commit to. And, and, you know, and then once we have unity, at least in the heart of God, then we can have discussions about, okay, well, what's the right way forward here? What should we do? And uh, the first part of this, uh, it continues extolling how great it, how great God is, right? Specifically focusing in on his righteousness and his justice. He works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. This line tells us something about God's character. God's character does not tolerate injustice in the world. Um, God's rule is characterized by righteousness. That is a writing of what is wrong. Uh, he delivers from evil and oppression. Uh, salvation, here's some bigger words, right? Salvation, like a saving, like a taking out of a place. Uh, vindication. And uh, one of the questions pretty close to the surface here, at least it was as I was reading this and I was thinking and praying through it, uh, it seems to be, okay, uh, this psalm says that God is doing that. But if he is doing that, and if this is what he wants, if this is his heart to deliver the oppressed, why is there still so much injustice? Uh, where is God in the injustice that we still see? And uh, I'm not going to be able to give you a full answer here, right? Maybe not even a satisfactory one, but I think that there, um, I think that there's some ways in which we can begin to answer that question. And I think a beginning to answer that question starts with, well, there is a future. And there's a future coming in which God will rid the world of injustice. God will rid the world of evil. He will deal with it all. Um, scripture promises this. And uh, does it take longer uh, than we want for that day to get here? Yeah. Uh, probably. Maybe a question that tacks on the end of that is, I don't get it, but why is God not acting now? And I think we can say to that, well, I think that God is acting now. I mean, I think that God has given his people a basis for justice. He has said, this is who I am. This is my heart. This is what I want. This is how I'm empowering you. This is the role that I'm giving to you. This is, uh, I, I have empowered you. I have enabled you to do this. I mean, and so I think in some ways, I think the church is part of what God is doing to stop injustice. Uh, that's part of our mandate. That's, we're, supposed to be, uh, we're supposed to be salt. We're supposed to be light. We're supposed to be the hands and the feet of Jesus. We are the body of Christ. And, uh, I mean, someone could interact with that and they could say, okay, uh, but there is so much evil. Wouldn't it be better for God to come down now and just to stop all evil and to judge the world? I mean, if he's really there, if he really sees this, isn't that the, the best thing to do? Like, is to just come and to end all evil? And I mean, I, I, mean, I, I would say, I, I suppose that that's possible. Um, but I guess I would, I would tack on a caution there, right? If we invite 
judgment, if we invite immediate judgment on evil, um, I think there's an important question here, and we should ask, okay, well, what are the limits on which God acts? And this is what I mean. Okay, should God wipe out all uh, racists? Um, should God uh, judge all people who have racist thoughts? Um, who has ever said a racist thing? How, how far back do you track that? And how far back do you begin to go before uh, it turns out that nobody's excluded from this judgment? I mean, where do we draw the line, right? Murderers? Okay, well, maybe. Maybe you should judge murderers. How about liars? Should, uh, should the, the evil of lying be removed? Um, where do we draw this arbitrary line of here and no further? Uh, I mean, if we invite this, if we invite this immediate kind of God comes and judges all evil, wouldn't it make sense for God to wipe out all evil? And I think, unfortunately, a wiping out of all evil probably includes everybody outside of Jesus. And I mean, the question there is maybe, do we really want that? Is that really what we want? Is that really what we're asking for? Um, I mean, 2 Peter 2.9, right, is going to tell us God is not slow uh, to fulfill his promise. It tells us God is patient towards us. He does not, uh, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. He wants us to come to him. He wants us to know him. And there's a sense in which he is, uh, he is being patient so that more can come to him, so that more can know him. Uh, so there's a lot to think about. And I think that that's only the beginning of an answer, right? But I, let me just highlight an action point out of this section. I, I do think that this says, let's be a people who make things right. Let's be a people who pursue justice. I mean, that is the heart of our God. Let us be his hands and his feet carrying out his heart. Let's talk about how to do this best. And I mean, I extend that as an invitation. If there's different pieces where you feel like, hey, we can really be the church in this situation, then come talk to myself and talk to Aaron and talk to the leadership team and uh, talk amongst each other. Like, let's, let's talk about this. We need each other. Let's figure this out together. What does it mean to live as the church in Carlton Place and Almont in the surrounding area. What does that mean? What does that look like? How do we do this? I don't know that there's a definite answer to that question either, but let's figure out how to, how, how to do this, how to live as the church, how to love, how to carry out God's heart. Okay, so maybe that's enough on that point. Uh, let's uh, jump into our third section, okay? And so uh, we're moving from reflecting on God's glory and how far we fall short we're moving to the reality of God's love for us. And so let me read verses 15 to 17 to you. It says this, kind of Ecclesiastes-ish. It says, As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field, for the wind passes over it, and it's gone. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him. And this kind of hints at the, the beauty of the way that God interacts with us is that God knows us. I mean, he knows us intricately. Uh, he made us. God knows our frailty. He knows that our days are like grass, right? He knows, uh, I mean, the psalmist is moving from a reflection on this is who God is, this is who we are. Man, we are really quite low. And, and this is kind of the transition point. Our days are like grass, right? Uh, a moment goes by and then, and then we're gone. 
And God is not like that. God's love is not like that. God's character is not like that. And, and God knows that we're like that, right? He knows all of our frailty. He knows all the ways that we have caused evil, all the ways that we've failed to measure up, all the ways that we have failed to be good enough, all the things that we have tried, all the, maybe it's a self-loathing that we have for ourselves. God knows us. And the beautiful thing is that he knows us and his love for us is steadfast from everlasting to everlasting. We are loved and we are invited into a place of deep love, a place where there is no need to impress, a place where there is no need to chase success, a place where we are fully known, a place where we are fully loved, a place where we have security, we have identity, and we have security and we have identity that we can't lose. We have security and we have identity that we have already earned. And the rest of life is, okay, now that we have this beautiful gift, how do, we, how do we live out of this? How do we live out of this gift? How do we live out of this place of love? And just on a practical level, that means following Jesus, uh, right? Surprise is not a bunch of rules to get into heaven. That's not what it is, right? Following Jesus is living to know the heart of Jesus more. It is drawing closer and closer to Jesus and then living out of that place. I mean, Christianity, following Jesus, is relationship first. Uh, do you want to follow Jesus? Do you want life eternal, everything that God promises, right? In order to receive those things, you don't need a checklist. Um, what you need is a willing heart that says, God, I'm sorry, please forgive me. Let me come home to you. Help me to understand and then help me to show this world your beauty. Uh, take me and transform me. Tear off the pieces that are broken. Tear off the pieces that are, that are not whole. Tear off the pieces that are, are faded and they're just not good anymore. And make me beautiful. And help me to show this world your beauty. Um, and if you've done that, and if, if your heart is in a place where you've said that, then, then you have it. God is, right? God is at work in us. We have the Holy Spirit living in us. There's nothing else to work for. We can now live in that. And with that, let's move to our fourth section. And so this, just to recap, this has been the flow, right? There's the recalling of thankfulness and everything that God has done. It's kind of went from there to a reflection on, man, God, you're so good, to a kind of like a, in section two, oh, well, God is really good and, and we're not really so good. And then in section three, it comes to this place where, uh, but this is, there's this immense beauty uh, of the fact that we are fully known, even though we are nothing compared to God, we are fully known and we are fully loved by God. Okay, and, and so, I mean, I did my hand motions wrong. Because I'm not actually watching the camera. But, you know, it's kind of like thankfulness, and then down here, and then it's like, oh, but we are loved. And so it's coming back up. And so then the section four is going to kind of like shoot off the edge of the chart or off the edge of the screen, like that. And uh, this last part of the psalm is now the climax, right? And we enter into this place over here off screen where all of creation praises God in all of its different voices. So verse 19 is going to say, the Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. And so we see a picture here, which is both now, 
and not yet. Um, Our sins have been forgiven, but we still struggle and we still wrestle with sin. Um, Some disease is healed, but we still often pray and we don't see healing. Scripture promises, though, that the day is coming, and the day is coming uh, that in the future there will be a time when we will be fully healed of sin, we will be fully healed of sickness. And the Lord, God, is working righteousness, and He's working justice for all who are oppressed. And that's happening now, and in large part, I think, through His people. That's happening now, but one day there will be complete justice. And God does reign over the earth now, but there is still so much rebellion, right? But there is coming a day when every knee will bow, and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. And so the kingdom is both now, but it's not fully realized, right? We have all these tastes of the kingdom. We, we have forgiveness. Um, we have some healing. We have uh, righteousness and justice being worked out and freedom for the oppressed. And we have some of these things, but there will be a day when all of these uh, show up in full. We await the full arrival. The kingdom of God is here in part, but there's so much more uh, to come. Uh, There is coming a day when Jesus comes back, according to Scripture, comes back in power and glory. And in that time, all evil will be dealt with. Um, Complete and perfect justice will arrive. Sin and sickness and death will be defeated. And in that time, God's kingdom will be here in full. And uh, just to recap the flow of our psalm, right, that we're looking at, Psalm 103, uh, it goes from thanksgiving and remembrance. And we said, well, we ought to be a people who remember what God has done for us. Well, we didn't say that, but we kind of implied it. We should be a people who remember what God has done for us, a people who saturate ourselves in that, that, that use our mind and our memory to stir and to flame our hearts, that soak in Scripture and let that, Let that just soak into our actions and who we are. So we should be a people who do that. I mean, that's just called wisdom, I think. Um, So that was section one, right? And then section two, from Thanksgiving, it moves to this reflection on how great God is and how far we fall short. And here we said, well, let's be a people who know God's heart and who seek to carry his heart out. Let us be a people of compassion and justice and righteousness and hope abounding in love and working for those things in Carlton Place and in Almont and in this area and in our world. And I'm going to confess that I'm not the best at that and I have a lot to learn. So if you if you're ahead on ahead of that or I mean you have different different spiritual gift and and you're a little bit more ahead of the curve than me and please come alongside or please uh, help let's figure that out together. Let's desire that and let's work together to see that happen. And then section three, it, right, it moves from reflection, that the, the psalm moves to this immense beauty of the fact that we are both known and loved by God. And I think out of that we can say, well, let's rest in that. I mean, let's let our anxieties dissolve in that. We are fully known and we are fully loved. And there is nothing left to accomplish. There's nothing left that we have to do. There's nothing left that we have to earn Instead, let's just live out of this uh, immense beauty of the fact that we are known and loved. 
And then finally, right in section four, the psalm moves to an expression of God's sovereignty and God's reign over creation. It says, he is in control. And uh, so just as we close, I just wanted to touch on one, uh, one last thought. And uh, I mean, it's a question that often comes to me when I, I'm listening to sermons and I kind of say, okay, we spent all this time up here. Uh, great. So, so now what do we do, right? And that seems to be the trick of Scripture. Scripture is uh, very often giving us large overarching ideas. And uh, the trick becomes, okay, in our context and where we are and in Carlton Place and Almont, what does that look like? What does that mean? And uh, I, I just want to riff off of that last point, I think, which is just that we're in this in-between space, right? Between the now and the not yet. We are agents of God's kingdom. We are ambassadors for Christ. And we are that in this area. And we're called to step forward and bringing light and life and healing and love and compassion and justice and hope and goodness to this world. And if you're like me, you can feel a little bit overwhelmed by that. And so maybe it's good to ask, okay, well, how do we, how do we start doing that? I mean, I think we start by taking this call seriously, right? We start by saying, this is the heart of our God. And that is important. That matters. We are part of God's plan for this community, for this area. Um, and then after we recognize the heart, I think we just make sure again that our hearts are focused on Jesus. Then I think we probably pray and we say, God, um, how would you like to see this happen? That's a, that's a plug for Thursday night, by the way, and all the other groups and times and places where we pray. Um, you know, we pray and we say, God, how would you lead us in this? How would you have us do this? And then I think after... After, you know, we've seen the heart and we focus on Jesus and we pray, I think it just becomes discussion. Let's talk with each other. Um, and, and key here is patience and love. And let's talk about what should we do um, and, and how should we do it, you know? And then we follow our consciences and we see where they lead. And then we come back together again and we say, hey, this worked well, this didn't. And we kind of debrief and we kind of just uh, work from there, right? I'm fond of the language of uh, ex an experiment. I mean, I don't know the best way to love this community. And uh, I guarantee you, okay, even, let's say, even if I did know the best way, which I don't, let's say I know a good way. I don't know all of the good ways where that's possible. So, I mean, we need each other. So let's talk. Let's come back together. Let's, uh, let's talk and say, hey, this worked well. This didn't. Let's debrief. Let's figure it out. And then I think as we do that, I think that we'll see our town radically transformed by the Spirit of God. Bye for now. Thanks for joining us. To connect to the ministries of Ottawa Valley Vineyard, visit ovv.ca.